Welcome to the Trash Fire of Talk podcast with your host, Skits M. Jones. I am that host, Skits M. Jones, and this is the podcast. Um, got a lot that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, any of you who follow me on social media, which I assume you do because that's probably how you found out about the podcast in the first place, you all likely already know about uh, the announcement that I made uh, this week that I am no longer, A, I'm no longer part of Kaiju Attack Wrestling, and B, uh, I'm no longer part of pro wrestling in general. I have decided that it is, after, you know, 10, roughly 10 years uh, in and out of the business, it's time for me to devote my focus to other things, whether it be uh, time with Uncouth, the band, uh, or time with uh, stand-up and, and performing in, in that avenue, or time working on this podcast or putting together other projects. Um, I've been working for other people's brands for a long time, and it's, it's, it is time to focus on my own. Uh, it is not a decision I came to easily, um, but it is the culmination of, you know, 10 years of investment in, in doing things. And uh, I'm going to talk about my entire time in pro wrestling. Um, I mean, again, like I said, 10 years in and out of the business, I'm not going to manage to hit all the bases. I'll probably talk about wrestling again in the future. Um, I'm sure there will be stories or anecdotes or things that will come up that I want to talk about. But I wanted to kind of just give a an overview of my career. And I realize this is too kind of wrap-up summary shows in a row. Uh, last episode was all about reflecting on the, the past year of comedy, and this one is reflecting back on uh, my time in wrestling. I promise I'll get to some content that's more current at some point in the near future. Uh, I, I will do that, but for now, um, indulge me in this little bit of, of reflection. It's a uh, it's an interesting time in my life, um, currently and looking back over the past 10 years. Um, I've watched wrestling my whole life. You know, I remember as a kid uh, watching all the, you know, the greats of the 80s and 90s, you know, from, from uh, you know, my, my favorite was Piper. Uh, Piper was my guy always. Um, and then, you know, in the 90s, I mean, who wasn't over in the 90s? Like, everyone had a, a gimmick and a story. And, and the Attitude Era or, you know, the NWO era, if you're, you were a WCW fan or ECW. You know, I've, I've got pictures of, of me as a teenager uh, uh, meeting Sandman at a bar um, because ECW was in town. So, you know, I've, I've always been a fan of the business and I was never meant to be part of it. That was, that was never a thought in my mind. I never, even as a kid growing up, thought that I was going to be uh, a pro wrestler. Um, and it was weird how I got into it. I, uh, I had just returned from uh, my first tour in Iraq. And I was a fucking mess. I was in a, a knee brace constantly because my left knee just would not stay where it was supposed to be. Uh, a lot of times I walked with a cane. Um, 
I was, I was a mess. I was, I was so fat. I was like 250, 260 pounds. Like I was, I, I was coming off of a huge problem with painkillers and, you know, the, the knee being messed up led to me being immobile and just eating because that's what I do when I'm sad is I eat. And so it was just a bad scene for me, you know, and, um, came out of the military, uh, or at least I, I came out of my first tour, um, got stateside and found out a, a buddy of mine from back in high school had become a wrestler. And so I went to a little, a little indie show in, uh, I think it was a show in Elmhurst at the, uh, Knights of Columbus. And my buddy, uh, Billy, the rock star, um, had become a wrestler, the rich boy, Herbert Zachary Devonshire. Um, and, uh, I, I went to go see him and see the show and support. And it was, it was a riot. I had only been to a couple indie shows ever in my life. Uh, the old LWF, uh, which ran out of Chicago, which is where like, you know, probably the, the biggest name to come out of LWF was CM Punk. Um, and there's all sorts of beef and heat between CM Punk and the LWF crew, a lot of whom are still in wrestling today. He made it. A lot of them didn't. Uh, a lot of them are still working the indie scene. Uh, some of them, I worked for their companies. Um, but yeah, so there was a whole bunch of beef uh, but with that, but that's not my story. That's someone else's story. My story is I went to an indie wrestling show. I met a bunch of the people and we all kind of got a kick out of each other. Um, right off the bat, made friends with uh, my, my, my dude Deho, Brian Fellows, uh, who I didn't know it at the time, but he was going to be my favorite tag partner ever. Uh, and really my, still my tag partner out of wrestling that, that is, you know, I've talked about my ride or die motherfuckers. Uh, Deho is my ride or die motherfucker. Um, but I'll get into that. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I went to this company called Pow Entertainment. That's where, uh, Billy was, was working and, you know, I met everybody and I just kept going to the shows because I got along with everyone. I started hanging out with the wrestlers outside of uh, the the business. And so I would go to the shows and I started writing reviews of the shows for their message board. You know, who won, who lost, detailing the match, stuff like that. And the owner of the company, Jimmy Blaze, approached me and said, Hey, I dig your writing. I dig what you're doing would you want to write the magazine for the company? And uh, me and the uh, photographer for the, the, one of the photographers for the company at the time, uh, who we'll just call Douchey McWiggle Titties, because that's what we called him, um, he and I put together a magazine. And, you know, every month we would have an interview with a wrestler, a cover story, um, you know, talk about some of the events, whatever, whatever. It was your standard indie wrestling company magazine thing. Um, and as I was doing this magazine, 
the company was going to be doing one of their, uh, what they called fantasy camps, their little training camps. And um, I thought, what a great angle for uh, doing a, a story on the, the fantasy camp if I took part in the camp. You know, I'd been working out, I'd, I'd been doing a DDP yoga, um, which made just a world of difference for me to flash back a little bit. While I was in Iraq, I met DDP. He was doing a USO tour, talking about, at the time it was called YRG, Yoga for Regular Guys. It's now since become DDP Yoga because better branding. Um, but he was, you know, talking to everybody about the DDP Yoga thing. And, uh, you know, I met him, talked with him. He saw my knee problems and everything else I had going on. And I, I bought the, the DVD set to learn to do the, the yoga thing because I had seen, you know, the, the inspirational video of Arthur, uh, who was the guy who, you know, he had trouble walking. He was a, a big, you know, big dude, unhealthy, out of shape. Uh, I want to say he was a, a vet as well. Uh, and DDP got him to drop like 200 pounds or some nonsense and like got him super fit and Arthur even started like teaching the, the the fucking yoga and shit like that so you know I I had met DDP I bought the DVDs and DDP to his credit is so hands-on dude emailed me and was like hey uh glad to see you got the DVDs how's it working for you you know, I explained to him my issues. I couldn't hit all the poses, couldn't do all the things because of my knee. We emailed back and forth a little bit. And then finally he was like, hey, what's your number? I'm going to call you. So fucking 1030 at night on like, I think a Thursday, DDP calls me and we talk for like an hour and he's just hashing out, you know, how to do the yoga thing and giving me inspiration and motivation and just, you know, really pumped me up. And so I was getting to the point where I still needed a knee brace to do all the athletic things, but I didn't need the cane. Um, and I got to a point where I could, I could run, you know, and I wasn't in shape, but I was definitely not as out of shape. Um, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go do this training camp just to see, just to try it, see what it feels like. Cause I've been writing about it forever. Let's see how it goes. So I did the training camp and fucking loved it instantly. I was like, I, I couldn't walk the next day to be fair. Uh, my back was a mess. Like taking bumps is no fucking joke running the ropes. You know, I had welts on my back. Like I was a wreck, but I loved it. And I decided to start training. So I'm training at POW and POW at the time had a great roster of trainers. They had a location and a great roster of trainers. I was training under uh, Rough Crossing, Scott Spade, Jimmy Blaze, um, uh, you know, Deho, who I mentioned, Chris Cairo, uh, just so many guys, so much talent, and I I learned a lot, and um, I wasn't a wrestler yet. I, you know, did commentary occasionally. Uh, I did some uh, some work, uh, I was doing the magazine still, um, my first encounter in ring was Eric Freedom, uh, was complaining that he had not been the cover story of the magazine, 
And so he called me into the ring because I was shilling the magazine, called me into the ring and uh, hit me with his finisher just to get me in the ring. Um, So we did that spot. And then, uh, you know, this is 2008. This is all going on. And in the end of 2008, uh, uh, Jimmy Blaze calls me out. He was a heel at the time and uh, says, we're going to have a match, he and I, because he he doesn't like what I've been writing either, whatever. So after a a year of of training at the Powell School, I get in the ring and I have my debut match with Jimmy Blaze, me still in the reporter gimmick. So I'm, you know, fedora with a, a press pass tucked in the, in the, in the, the hat band, um, you know, shirt, tie, slacks. Um, and it was, it was a great gimmick for that match. Cause he could drag me around by the tie, you know, rip up my dress shirt, stomp on my hat, all, all that shit. So it, it worked. And then, uh, you know, he went over cause he was the wrestler and I was, uh, you know, just a, a reporter, you know, so every move I did was like a surprise. Um, you know, he went over and then, uh, you know, I'm at that time I was leaving to go prep for my next tour overseas. I had another deployment coming up. So, uh, Eric freedom to his credit gave me the rub, came out in the ring, got in my face, you know, jaw jacked a little bit. And, uh, uh, I like punched him or I, I forget exactly what it was, but I, you know, I dropped him. Um, and he, you know, cause I, I had no, uh, Jimmy had gotten his heat from the match, beating up the reporter, but then freedom gave me some of my, gave me some of the rub back, uh, putting me over as I was going overseas. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget that. That was something he didn't have to do. You know, but he wanted to put a button on the fact that he dropped me, you know, months before and he wanted to give me a little something as I, you know, was getting ready to deploy. So I leave, I go do the deployment, uh, I get my uh my two week uh you know, you get to come back from deployment for two weeks. Um, you know, I got to get involved in a couple more matches. Um, had my second match this time, not doing the reporter gimmick this time doing a, uh, you know, soldier gimmick. So I'm wearing my, you know, ACU pants and a black t-shirt cause I still wasn't in the kind of shape that I should be, uh, to be a wrestler, even though I was in the military cause it was the war on terror. They didn't give a fuck. They just needed bodies. Um, so I, you know, I, I teamed up with, uh, Chris Cairo and, uh, DJ Donnie dynamite in a, a, weird foreshadowing of things to come against, uh, Jimmy blaze and his, uh, MOB masters of brutality, which were, there's a thing in indie wrestling where there's going to be a gimmick that's over on, you know, TV, whether it's WWE or WCW or whatever. Um, or nowadays it's like new Japan or anyway, there'll be a gimmick that's over and an indie company will embrace it and take it for their own. And so the MOB, the masters of brutality were basically the NWO 
of of Pow. Uh, right down to the gimmick being a direct ripoff, like, um, but yeah, so me, Cairo, Donnie, uh, face off against the MLB, I think, uh, we go over, Cairo probably got the pin, because he was, like, the number one baby face at the time, and so that happened, and then, uh, Jimmy Blaze cut a promo, uh, you know, saying he hoped I died in Iraq, uh, so I go back to Iraq, finish my tour, come back home. Going to be a wrestler. Going to do it. Going to gonna try and do it. Um, and uh, I, had, I had an idea of how I wanted it to go. Because uh, we had had another wrestler who was a vet. Uh, um, oh, God, and his name's escaping me. Brandon Bishop. And this dude, you know, the muscles, the look, the whole deal, you know, had just come back from Iraq, total baby face, wearing, you know, stars and stripes printed trunks. Uh, and so my idea was, you know, because um, by the time I got back, Jimmy Blaze was a baby face. He was a good guy again. And so my idea was, all right, well, I should keep my feud with Jimmy going. The last thing he said to me was, I hope you die over there. Let me come back as a vet with PTSD, which is, is it's true. I, I am a vet with PTSD, but let me, you know, they say the best gimmicks are you turned up, uh, di- you know, dialed up to an 11. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll be a pissed off vet with PTSD, mad that, you know, Jimmy Blaze said, I hope you die over there. Um, and, you know quote unquote, a part of me did die over there, you know, and do that thing. And I really wanted to go overboard with it. I'm, I'm talking like burn American flags, uh, you know, like really go overboard with it. Cause I, I'd been reading, uh, you know, Piper's, uh, autobiography and shit and, you know, talking about the kind of heat that he was able to get and, you know, people wanted to, to knife him in the parking lot and shit. And I was like, what, what a a gimmick it would be if I could make people that pissed off at me, make people hate me that much that they want to come after me in the parking lot. And I was like, I can get that kind of heat. I can make people hate me. I can do that. And the fact that it's true enough to my life, no one can be that mad at me about doing that gimmick. Um, you could say wisely, uh, Jimmy said no to that, uh, didn't want to run that gimmick and that, that was fine. Um, you know, but I was around and, uh, uh, you know, did, did a little bit with the company, um, had a, had a different gimmick, um, never, uh, never really got back to being in the ring, you know, trained, but never had the opportunity uh, and then, uh, I moved to Arizona for a while. I might be getting the order of a lot of these events all out of whack. Cause I've suffered a lot of concussions, not from my time in wrestling, surprisingly enough, uh, but from my time in, in the military. Um, but yeah, I, I moved to Arizona for a while. Uh, I was homeless for a while. Okay. No, that's what it was. I got back from Iraq. Uh, we ran a gimmick. Um, 
Oh man, I'm blanking. You know what? Uh, fuck it. Some of the events might be out of order. It'll be fine. Um, I was homeless for a while and, uh, my buddy Deho, who I mentioned earlier, um, you know, he and I were road trip buddies and we hung out all the time. Uh, at the, at the time, the, the little click backstage for, for my group, um, the, or not mine, but like the group I was in was, uh, we would hang out at the lair, which was Deho and his, his now wife, Katie's, uh, apartment. And it'd be me, uh, the flying Hawaiian Kanoa, excuse me, Mikey Wild, DJ Donnie Dynamite, who then became just Donnie Dynamite. Then he was Dynamite with like, it was D-I-E hyphen. It, 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 boy had a lot of gimmicks is, is what I'm saying. And I'll get into that more. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was, I was all over the place and, you know, hanging with those cats. And then, uh, I was homeless for a bit, and after I was homeless for a bit, decided to move to Arizona. So I I wasn't in POW anymore. Um, I think I'd already worked for a couple other companies. I think I'd worked for uh, uh, Global Pro Wrestling, which is, it's a company now, uh, but it was was a company then, and then it went under for a bit, and then it came back. Um, It was run by Mitch Blake. Oh yeah, that's why. That's why I left POW. So I came back to POW and, you know, was helping put together the new show. And I was the commentator. They had me on as, as commentary um, instead of having me in ring. And uh, we, we ran a show at the Odium, which was, uh, it was fun, but it was so, it, it, for a first run at the Odium, it was fine, but it was very, very mismanaged. Uh, Time-wise was was bad. Match order was bad. The hottest match of the night for the title wound up being buried past midnight. Like, it started late because the the host of the show had to get his costume changed before he could start the show. Like, there was so much going on. And uh, Mitch Blake was a toxic motherfucker. And Marco Cordova was a toxic motherfucker. There were a lot of cats in the company who were really ruining the morale of the company. And so not long after that, I left the company. And, you know, I wasn't looking to wrestle anymore um, after that. Um, and then I, you know, moved to move, moved away. Um, but yeah, I left the company and there were a handful of people who left. Scott Spade left and uh, I think Mikey Wilde had left, and I had left, because um, it, it just it it stopped being fun because the wrong people were being listened to, and you know I when I worked for Global Pro Wrestling, uh, I got to have the the second gimmick I'd ever had. I was uh, uh, the cult leader Solomon Jones instead of Skits M Jones, uh, and my buddy Deho. Uh, he was the chosen one Dayhawk in POW. And then he was King David Jones um, in my uh, little stable. And then we also had uh, uh, Roadhouse from up in uh, Wisconsin. He was, uh, uh, God, what was it? Jim Jones. He was, uh, so it was Jim Jones, Solomon Jones, David Jones. 
and we were dressed like fucking Mormons. Like we had a shirt and tie and, and all that. And it was supposed to be a cult gimmick, but we never got promo time. Like I never, I had, I had been put in the role of leading this, this cult stable because I was a good talker and they never gave me mic time. So it was such a dumb waste of a gimmick. Um, and that was my experience in, in global pro, uh, and then I never went back. Um, and I left POW because it was becoming a toxic environment and, uh, you know, bounced around and finally came, I, I moved back to Illinois, rejoined POW because some things had changed. Some different people had come and gone and I wanted to be back with some of my, some of my friends. So I started training again. Uh, there were different trainers, Mikey Wild and uh, GQ were were more involved in the training, and uh, uh, Deho had become a trainer, and um, you know it was it was fun. It was real fun, and I finally got in the shape I wanted to be in. Like I was 180 pounds, I had slimmed down, I was looking good. Uh, we came up with this whole way to introduce me. Um, I was staying on commentary. Um, so I, I was like a, a good guy, you know, I was, I was the happy baby face commentator there to cheer on, you know, the good guys, boo, the bad guys, unbeknownst to the audience. I was also under a hood and a cape and, you know, head to toe covering as the shadow. And the shadow was part of the stable, the rebellion, and what the rebellion was supposed to be. Because uh, I, being the creative sort, I was given a lot of freedom to come up with ideas for the company. And one of the ideas that, that I and then uh, Deho helped out with, we had come up with the, the rebellion. And the rebellion was supposed to be an answer to Jimmy Blaze's uh, mismanagement of, of the company. Um, cause before I had come back to Powell, uh, he started bringing in a bunch of names and putting all the names over at the expense of the local talent. So the idea was a stable of the, the homegrown talent would turn against Jimmy and some people would stay loyal to Jimmy. Some people would turn against him and it wasn't supposed to be a babies or heels thing. It, there were going to be babies and heels involved in both factions. It was going to be a battle of ideological differences. And so the fans were going to have to decide for themselves where they stood. It wasn't going to be clear, a clear-cut gimmick. Um, and it got absolutely butchered. Um, the rebellion turned to shit. All the jobbers were put in the rebellion. All the babies were put on Jimmy's team. All, all, or all the, yeah, all the babies and all the names were put on Jimmy's team. And the, the rebellion wound up being a bag of shit, uh, which sucked. It really could have been a real hype gimmick that could have run a year. We, we had, you know, twists and turns booked out for a year of who would join what stable, who would turn and leave and go to the other stable. You know, people were supposed to return who hadn't been with the company since the earliest days uh, to either back Jimmy or go against Jimmy. It was going to be this whole big thing. And in the end, it, it never got there. And one of, one of the big complaints with pro wrestling is when the booker is also one of the talents, 
on one hand, it's safe for the booker because they know no matter who comes and who who goes, they can always put themselves in a story to carry the company forward. But what that also means is you'll have a lot of bookers who will put themselves over at the expense of other people. Um, and I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't a main player in this thing by any stretch. Like I was a tertiary character in the original booking of the rebellion. Um, you know, so it's not like I'm, I'm saying this cause I wanted to put myself over like the story was going to be hot. I wasn't even involved in the main event scene of this story. Like I said, tertiary character, but I'm getting ahead of myself anyway. So I'm doing the commentary, I'm doing the shadow, um, and, uh, you know, eventually I revealed myself as the shadow, um, by beating up GQ, I take the mask off, uh, I say, you know, you're a cocky prick and fuck you and whatever, whatever, uh, which then leads to my first real match as a full-time wrestler. Uh, this was the start of my singles run at POW. Um, cause the other matches were all one-offs. They didn't really matter. They didn't really count for anything. Um, this was, I was going to be a wrestler and, you know, I went out, I had the match with GQ and my gimmick was, uh, the epitome of entertainment. Um, Mr. TV ready skits M Jones. And the, the design behind that, the idea behind that is every wrestler at the time, they all wore a, a combination of the colors of blue, black, white, or red. Everyone in the company, and, and most of the indie scene at the time, everyone was rocking those same colors. Everyone was just trying to be a badass. Everyone wanted to be, you know, the the most impressive. Everyone wanted to be a badass. And the thing about wrestling I've learned over the years is it's just theater kids with muscles. That's all pro wrestling is. It's a bunch of theater kids. We all want to play, you know, larger than life characters. We're all big giant nerds. And the people who get it, the people who really get it, Realize it's not about trying to be a badass. It's about trying to be a larger-than-life character that the audience can connect with. And, you know, so in a sea of Billy badasses, I decided to be the opposite. I was going to be flamboyant. I was going to wear makeup. I was going to sparkle. I was going to throw confetti and have a grand entrance. It was all going to be about the show. It was going to be about the presentation. Because in ring... I joined wrestling old and injured. I've never been the best in-ring competitor. I was never going to be the best in-ring competitor. But I could put on a show. And I would distract the audience with the show to hide my deficiencies. And that was, that was the gimmick. And uh, I think at first I was wearing like green and gold. I looked like I had stepped out of Legend of Zelda or some shit. Um... And then eventually I was like, all right, these colors are still not what I need. Uh, so then I got the watermelon, fucking neon green, neon pink, bright, ugly, obnoxious colors. And uh, that, was, that was the real start of it for me. 
um, you know, I, I, I worked around, um, I was a member of the rebellion, but I didn't really have a story. I was just someone you could put in there to have a match. Um, and then, you know, I, I sold everything on commentary and I sold everything in promos and all of that. Like I've, that's always been what I was good at in wrestling is I was a promo guy. You put a mic in my hand and I could do the thing. Um, and I realized for anyone who, uh, knows me, pays attention to me, I'm using predominantly like masculine, uh, words, uh, to describe the character. The character I was portraying was a, a guy. Uh, it was a straight up male character. I didn't really get into, um, putting myself out in terms of gender bending, uh, and, and being more queer for a while. Um, but at the, at, at the time I was just, uh, a flamboyant loudmouth. Um, huh, yeah. So the rebellion storyline eventually comes to an end. You know, I had, I think my only feud as a singles wrestler was with Trevor Blanchard and, you know, credit to Trevor, Trevor's old school. And there's, there's, uh, you know, plenty of things that have been said about Trevor over the years by all sorts of individuals. And I'm, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, bury anybody, throw anybody under the bus or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not looking to spill a bunch of tea. Um, I'm just looking to talk the business. And in terms of the business, he and I did good business. Um, uh, we had a, a decent feud. We had good matches uh, we would walk and talk in the ring rather than plan a match out backstage. We would just go out in the ring and walk and talk it and, you know, call the match on the fly. And it worked. It was a great learning experience for me. I got better in the ring as a result of it. Um, I got my first, actually my only time ever gigging in a match uh, was the the payoff to the feud with me and Trevor. Because I... The story was I busted him open every match we had, uh, and so finally, to to cap it all off, he busted me open, and I bled for the first and only time, uh, in in a match after gigging myself, um, and uh, so that that was the end of that, and then that also culminated in the end of the rebellion storyline. And so then I was just kind of left floundering. Me, uh, Logan Scott, and Dazzling Donnie, or... No, he was a biker gimmick at the time. He was, um, I don't know, Dangerous Don Dynamite, or whatever the fuck he was. He was doing a biker gimmick. And uh, they they put me, uh, Don, and Logan in a triple threat, and Loser has to leave... Uh, Pow. And Logan, uh, me and Logan did promos together where we were wondering where Don was, what was Don's deal, what was going on. And I built it up like me and Logan were going to team up as the bald bearded duo. He was picture perfect Logan Scott. I was the epitome of entertainment. Like it made sense to put me and him together. Um, so then the swerve of the match was me and Don turned on Logan, beat the crap out of him, pinned him, he was gone. And so then it was me and Don uh, as, a, as a tag team. 
And there was there was talk as to how me and Don were going to be a team. What were we going to be an odd couple? Me as the flamboyant one, and him as the biker. Um, we decided better idea because uh, the the biker gimmick wasn't over for him. You know, no one cared. It was another lame dude in leather vest with a with a chain. There's a million of those in indie wrestling. Uh, so it was decided we'd make him my essentially my clone. Uh, and that was the, the birth of, uh, Dazzling Donnie and, uh, Dazzling Donnie and Skitsem Jones formed the team hashtag glitter bomb. And, uh, that was the gimmick that I ran with in multiple incarnations for the entirety of, of my last run as an in-ring competitor. Um, in a number of, of incarnations. Uh, I also had, you know, I had matches against uh, uh, my, my buddy Deho. Um, we had fun working together, he and I, because neither one of us cared about taking bumps or having flashy moves. We were just out there to have fun. Most of our matches involved fucking doing the, the nipple twist spot or, you know, I'd, I'd blind him with glitter or... You know, whatever. We we just ran around and had fun. You know, it, it wasn't about having five-star matches. And for me, it never was. I was never going to be a five-star match guy. I was going to be a reliable hand who would entertain the crowd and you would remember the gimmick even if you didn't remember a single move that happened. Um, so Glitter Bomb is a thing. I'm also working a company called SWE, uh, up in Wisconsin with Deho, he was back uh, doing the chosen one Dayhawk gimmick. That dude's had so many gimmicks. Um, I I won't. That's that's for him to talk about. But me and him teaming up in Wisconsin, he was the chosen one Dayhawk, and I was under a mask up there doing uh, Yamantaka, the Terminator of Death, was my gimmick, and I was essentially one of his hellhounds. He had me on a chain. Uh, I I would wrestle most of the match on all fours. You know, I scrambled, I crawled. Um, total opposite of the Skits M. Jones gimmick, which was about being big and broad. This was weird and dirty and uh, very heelish. And um, one match I remember as Yamantaka, the Terminator of Death, it was Yamantaka and Vitala, who was another wrestler under a mask. Um, and whoever, the people who played uh, uh, Vitala changed every fucking show. Um, but I was always Yamantaka. And so it was me and Vitala versus Chase McCoy. And Chase was feuding with, with uh, uh, Dayhawk, my, my buddy Deho at the time. And goes to put me and Vitala in the double Naga knocker, you know, where you, where you bash the, the two guys' heads together. And there's a safe way to do it. And for whatever reason, the, the safe way didn't happen. And I wound up getting head-butted right in the nose. So I broke my nose, and I'm in a full face coverage mask. So my nose is broken and bleeding in the mask. And I'm just soaking in it. And then at another point... uh. Uh, Chase McCoy is down on all fours. I'm supposed to do that that thing where I, I jump up and sit on his back and he's supposed to flatten out. And 
due to a miscommunication or something, instead of flattening out, uh, he he bent at the waist and went into like a uh, like a, a a cat lift yoga position, the one where your 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 back is you're bowing. Uh, maybe it's cobra. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But your your belly's on the floor. Your head and shoulders are up. So he goes into cobra and throws his head back and smashes me in the nose again. So now I'm really bleeding. I'm I'm drowning in blood in this mask. We finished the match. It was fine, but it was just oh it was such a nightmare. Um, and then shortly after that, things at SWE fell apart. Like for the company, the company just fell apart. The gimmick was abandoned. It was a shame because I was having fun up there. But on on the other hand, I was like, oh, thank God I don't have to wear this mask anymore. Because, um, yeah, broke my nose. It's it's still uh, crooked from it. Um, but, yeah, so that was my time at SWE. Uh, it was fun. It was a fun road trip because I got to hang with my, my buddy and, you know, whatever. Um, but, anyway, so back to POW. Uh, I'm teaming with Don. Don is now like my clone. Our first match as a team with him as Dazzling Donnie, uh, we we basically get awarded the tag belts. We didn't we didn't like really win them. Um, we got awarded them because uh, I'm thinking part of it was backstage punishment. The the champs at the time, one of them had said something a little arrogant during an award ceremony and uh so they put the belts on me and don and you know me and don deck them out with feather boas and sparkles and sashes and you know we we really do up the gimmick um and we have a good run we have a decent run as tag champs um leading to a uh a cage match between us and uh, Team Scream. And Team Scream was Vinny Riot and CJ Idol. And uh, those guys were fun. I had fun matches with them. One of my favorite. It didn't, it didn't play for the crowd, but one of my favorite ideas for a match I ever had, it was me and Vinny Riot. Neither one of us wanted to bump around much. We were like, you know what? We're old. We're, we're beat up. Let's have a haha match. And, you know, there's the the start of every match has the ref checking each wrestler. And the idea was the ref would check me, then check Vinny, then check me, then check Vinny. And every time the ref checked one of us, there would be a, a weapon that we were hiding. And it would escalate in ridiculousness. Um, you know, so one of the things I remember is like Vinny Riot had uh, like cop issue handcuffs. And then I had fuzzy handcuffs and, you know, things like that. Uh, and, and it just escalated. And for what, it, you know, whether the ref didn't sell it or we didn't sell it or the crowd just wasn't buying it, like it didn't hit the way I hoped it would have. But man, I, I just loved that opening. Um, even if it didn't hit, it, it popped, it, I popped for it. And that, that was enough. Um, so yeah, so cage match, the first and only cage match I've ever been part of. And I remember very little of the match, if I'm being honest, because uh, the, the finish to the match is uh, um, me and Donnie are uh, beating up on 
Vinny Riot. Vinny Riot uh, manages to fire back a little bit, gets us in position. CJ jumps off the top of the cage. Um, and so uh, uh, I caught CJ basically entirely on my head. Um, we, no one, we, we just weren't all in position. CJ comes off the top of the head and lands back first on my head. So his back is wrecked. My head is wrecked. I'm knocked out. Um, but, but functional, like I, I carry out the rest of the match. I don't even remember the finish. Um, but I did, I was on autopilot, went through the rest of the match and then, out of the rebellion had come the elite players, which was Jimmy Blaze and all of his uh, original roster uh, up to a certain point in time, and so all of all of the powerhouses in the company are all together in this faction, and they cashed in a key to the kingdom or something, uh, and. Uh, so they uh, stole the tag belts, so we didn't get the belts, Team Scream didn't get the belts, the Elite players got the belts. And the Elite players got all the belts that night, if I remember correctly. And that was uh, the end of my heel run, essentially, for POW. Um, because after that, the Elite players were the big bad guys. You know, so Team Scream, still good guys... Elite players are bad guys, and there's Glitterbomb, who hates Team Scream, who hates the Elite players, and me especially, I've hated Jimmy Blaze through the entirety of my run as a wrestler. Um, so it, it continuity-wise, yes, we are against the Elite players. So it wound up being like uh, Glitterbomb and Team Scream sort of united against the Elite players, and we started to kind of write this story where Glitter Bomb were going to be tweeners. We weren't going to be heels because we were facing the elite players. And if the elite players are supposed to be the heels, then we've got to be babyish. Uh, and it was becoming a babyish gimmick anyway. People loved the confetti. People loved the bright colors. They loved the ridiculousness of hashtag Glitter Bomb. And we were getting a lot of fans, especially kids. Kids loved it. They were buying the merch, the t-shirts, the wristbands, the whole deal, the glow sticks. Um, so it was around that time that the decision was made for Glitter Bomb to become tweeners, if not full-on baby. Um, and that's where things started to go a little off the rails. And... Um, it's at that point I'm going to take a quick break, get myself a drink of water, and when I come back, we're going to talk about the end of my run at POW, the start of my run at Underground, and we'll go from there. So stay tuned, and I'll be right back. All right, and we're back. And uh, yeah, so during the end of my run at POW, I was also doing the start of my run at Underground Pro Wrestling. So this was about 2014, give or take. Um, I'd done a, a guest spot or two at Gali Lucha Libre, uh, which was a, a predominantly luchador uh, company. Uh, 
but I, I'd, I'd come in and Gali and Underground shared a lot of the same roster and a lot, uh, they shared the same venue. Um, and they do a lot of trios, uh, at, in Lucha Libre. And so Glitter Bomb was brought in, but it was originally pitched as being, uh, me and my buddy Deho, uh, being Glitter Bomb. And it was felt that that would be unfair to Don, you know, because uh, Donnie was part of the original Glitter Bomb. So we decided to do it as a trio. So it was me, Donnie, and then my my buddy Deho, who was uh, the towering inferno Brian Fellows, which is a gimmick that he had done back as a um, uh, like a, a backyard wrestler. Um uh, with the owner of Underground, this cat, James. Um, so me, Dazzling Donnie, Brian Fellows, hashtag Glitter Bomb as a trio in Underground. And we worked a few matches, and it was decided for Underground that Glitter Bomb would predominantly be me and Brian Fellows, with Don coming in when necessary. Um because that there was a there were personality issues um and it was you know James and Deho had a had a longer better history and you know they liked me and so it was decided when it was just a a, a standard tag team it would be me and Deho and we were having a we were having a blast at underground um having real fun matches, working a lot of great people. I got to work Mojo McQueen and this cat, uh, Draconis, and we got to work Beauty and the Beast and, you know, a lot of folks who are, who either are crushing it or, or were crushing it at the time. We got to work four-star heroes who put us over like nobody's ever put me over before. Um, I, uh, so I'm having the time of my life at underground and my time at POW is getting more and more difficult because of inconsistent booking to my feeling. My feeling was the booking was inconsistent. Uh, they were trying to have us be heels one day, be babies the next day. It was confusing the fans. It was confusing what we were doing. Um, and I, I just didn't understand I felt undervalued uh, as a member of the roster, you know, because I was also doing all of the the television uh, production for a while. I was running the cameras. They were my cameras. Like, I was putting a lot of work in um, and feeling like it just wasn't going in a direction that made any sense to me. You know, what were they doing with me? Um, and I, I don't... I don't think there really was a plan for me. I think that was one of the one of the the issues at the time is there were two stories or three stories that were being focused on and everyone else was just there to have matches. And for me the best shows are always the ones where everyone involved has a story, has something they're doing. Cuz if people are just there and it's meaningless, why do I care about these matches? Why even have them? Um, and the, you know, the best companies that I've worked for have 
storylines going from the opening of the card all the way through the main event. And, you know, so I, what was being done with me wasn't making sense. I didn't understand the direction of the company at large. Uh, and it wasn't my company, so that's fine. I don't need to be on board with every decision. It's, it's not about me. It's not my company. Um, but I, I felt that I could be better utilized and, uh, the company disagreed and I was devoting a lot of time to, uh, wrestling for, for POW and a lot of time to wrestling for underground. I was still in school at the time. I had a job and it was like, you know what? I have to refocus my efforts. Uh, so I will finish out the storyline I was involved with, with POW. And I wasn't quitting outright. Um, in my mind, I said, you know what? I can't give you every weekend of my life. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, especially I was having to drive out to Fox Lake and I don't live in Fox Lake. I live in, you know, uh, the Downers Grove area, or I, I might've been in Naperville, Naperville at the time, but either way, like nowhere near Fox Lake. So for me to do the Fox Lake shows, I was giving up a full day. And so I was like, look, if you need me for an Elk Grove show or something closer, you always have my number. You can always give me a call, but I can't be a full-time member of your roster anymore. Uh, I'm going to stay with uh, Underground because Underground Villa Park, I've got friends who live in Villa Park so they can come see me. I don't live too far and I'm not responsible for as much of the backstage stuff. I'm not responsible for video production. I'm not responsible for any of those things. Um, so I, I, I decided to be, uh, to be done with it. Um, and I, you know, I put over Donnie on my way out. I, I, you know, told the crowd, you know, I'm leaving, but Donnie's staying, you know, give, give, him all the love and support and whatever, whatever. Um, and so that, that was my, that was how I left POW. And I thought I left the right way. You know, I, like I said, I finished out the storyline. I did business. I put somebody over and I, and I left and, you know, with the door open and then, uh, you know, me, Don and, and Deho, uh, were still, uh, a trio in underground. So when we were asked to do a podcast talking about our time in wrestling, we all agreed and did the podcast and someone decided that I had buried pow in that podcast. And I've listened to it. Other people have listened to it. I don't even mention pow, you know, I, I had nothing negative to say about the company. This is the first time I've publicly had anything negative to say. And even then it's still business. I'm not, uh, I think other than Mitch Blake and Marco Cordova who fuck those guys, they're pieces of shit anyway. Um, I'm not burying anybody, you know, shit more power to pow. That company is still running. They're the longest running indie in Illinois, to my knowledge. Uh, a lot of people who left the company have gone back since, um, you know, so whatever it is, what it is, they're doing just fine. Um, they clearly didn't need me and I didn't really need them at that point, you know? So I thought I left the right way. Other people disagreed and it was, uh, 
it was what it was. And, you know, so I start getting blown up that I, you know, shit on the company or whatever doing this podcast that I had done. Uh, Don, no negative repercussions. Deho, no negative repercussions. But they decided they hated me. And, okay, it happens, you know. Uh, it's, it's a carny business and carny people are in it. And sometimes carny shit happens. Um, so I, I left, uh, pow and I, I was full time at underground and it was still, uh, primarily me and Deho. Um, we, we got into a feud with, with, uh, four star heroes, uh, Matt Nix and Chris Castro. Um, and those guys put us over so huge because they're, you know, I mean, Nix runs, uh, freelance wrestling he's one of the most over guys in the local scene in terms of just being able to do what he wants he's traveled um and those guys they didn't have to put us over uh the way they did but they did um and so I'll always be grateful to them for that and then you know that all led to a, a trios match where it was uh Nick's Castro and Kenny Sutra against me Deho and Dazzlin' Donnie. And around this time, I was starting to have some neck troubles. I had a, a, a vertebrae that was out of place. Um, there was some talk of needing surgery. And so I stepped into a managerial role for the team after that. Um, after the, at, We had the match, you know, went over, ended the feud, and then... Uh, Deho and Donnie took over as the team while I uh, managed them. And we got the belts, um, which it was a little disappointing for the team to get the belts without me being an active wrestler at the time. Um, because I, I knew that we were getting the belts because of the work that me and Deho had been putting in, you know, over, over that year or so that we were there. Um, so it, it was disappointing, but it was what it was. Uh, I did eventually, um, through doing more yoga and more traction positions and just resting, uh, and, and taking care of myself, my, my neck situation resolved itself. Uh, I didn't need surgery. Um, everything wound up being fine. Uh, and me being the person I am, I went, well, if my neck is fine, I can wrestle again. Um, and I, I came back just in time for Glitter Bomb to drop the titles. Uh, Donnie had a conflicting booking. And so me and Deho dropped the, the tag belts to, uh, I believe we dropped them to the N-Words. That was their name. I don't, don't at me. Uh, Bryce Benjamin and Acid Jazz. And that was great because I, I love those guys. As far as being in locker rooms, those are two of my favorite people in a, in a locker room. Um, you know, and we got to cut some wild fucking promos uh, with, with those guys. Um, but yeah, so me and Dio dropped the titles and then uh, Dio turns on us. I might be getting some of this stuff out of order, but, you know, deal with it. It's fine. Uh, Deho turns on Donnie specifically. 
beats him up after a match, walks away. And I'm trying to play peacekeeper, and it gets to a point where I'm going to be the referee uh, in a match between Deho and Donnie. And are they mowing the lawn outside? I don't know if you can hear this. I am so sorry if it's bleeding over, but it's like the weather's finally turning. Windows have to be open, or it's a damn sweat box in here. Actually, my window's not even open in, in my room. That's just noise bleeding through the window. Uh, if you can hear it, if you can't, I sound like I'm just talking nonsense and that's fine too. Um, yeah, so I'm the ref in a match between Deho and Donnie and, uh, I turn heel in the match and me and Deho start beating the piss out of Donnie. And this match was to write Donnie out because the, the company didn't want him at the time, um, he was injury prone. He had uh, an attitude that was rubbing people the wrong way. Um, and uh, it, it, was, it was decided to write him off. Um, so me and Deho start beating the piss out of him. And the crowd is on board. The crowd is cheering us. And we're like, okay, well, this is a problem. Because we are supposed to be the heels in this. So we keep beating the piss out of him. And we beat him until there's silence. And then we beat him even further. To the point where the crowd is finally upset with us. Because they think we're legitimately killing him. We used everything. Chairs and baking pans. And a, a, a cast iron skillet. And uh, tiki torches. And we just beat him within an inch of his life, uh, in, in gimmick, of course, like we didn't hurt him. Uh, you know, it's, it's wrestling. We took care of him. Um, but it, we made it look so good that people were like, people thought we legitimately hated him. Uh, and we didn't like Donnie was a friend. Um, since then we've, we've fallen out of touch, but that's, you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so me and Deho turn heel, change the name of the team to Too Fab, Too Furious, uh, continue our feud with the N-Words, and then uh, Deho retired. And Deho retired because he was married, he has a kid, and he was just tired of the business. Uh, he'd been in it longer than I had, and it was just time for him. And I got it, I totally got it. Um, but that really put me into question. What do I do now? Um, I was, uh, training with Bryce at underground school at the time. Um, and I really thought, oh, hell, got to adjust in this chair. I've been, I've been sitting so long. This is the longest podcast I've done solo so far. Oh, but yeah, so. I was training because I really wanted to make a go at it in a singles run. I felt confident enough as a wrestler and as a performer that I could do something. And I wanted to go back to a totally different gimmick. I was like, all right, I've done the, the flashy flamboyant thing. Let me do the opposite. Let me get real weird and dark with it. I, I feel like that would be a stark enough change 
that it could get over. And we had a bunch of plans. And then Underground uh, changed venue. Uh, we were going to work at Joe's Live in Rosemont. And uh, it was decided I wasn't needed on the card. They instead wanted me to host the show. So, you know, work the crowd, get them hyped, talk to them between matches, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I was fine with that. It was like, all right, well, it's, it's not in ring, but at least I still get to do something. And we did that show and it went over well, good crowd, good turnout. And then come the next show, it was decided they didn't need me for that either. And the offer was made to have me live tweet the, uh, the show. And I'm a performer. That's what I am. I, I love to perform. I love to be in front of the crowd. And so live tweeting made no sense to me. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I quit. If I, one of the people who'd been with the company from their time working the five-star swap mart in Villa Park and hustling for that company and working for that company for two years uh, at, at that point, maybe even going on three. Um, if I'd been busting hump that much and they wanted to hide me in the back and put me on their Twitter account, I didn't want to do that. And uh, so I, I quit. I quit the company because I, I didn't feel valued. And that's probably been a running theme, you know, as I, as I reflect back on wrestling. When I don't feel my value and my worth and what I can bring to the company matches with what the company wants from me or doesn't want from me, um, then it's time to move on because at that point we're just wasting each other's time. I can do more and if that's not what's needed, then I'll go do more somewhere else. And so I quit. And I thought I was going to be done with wrestling at that point. This was uh, 2017. I thought I was done. And later in 2017, uh, this cat, DDS, uh, who I'd, I'd work with at Underground. Uh, I, I don't know if he and I had, had worked a match uh, ever, but I know I had managed Glitter Bomb against him and, uh, I think Brendan Conway at the time. And, uh, you know, so he hit me up, he was starting a company and he wanted it to be something along the lines of what Hood Slam does out in California. He wanted a barroom feel, fans up against the ring, no seating, just crowd the fans in, have them stand around the ring, pat on, the, you know, bang on the, the fucking ring apron. He wanted a bar crowd. He didn't want a wrestling crowd. He wanted a bar crowd. He wanted it to be a wild adults only show. Uh, and he wanted me to be the host of it. And that sounded like it could be a good use of, of my skill set. Uh, it sounded like a wild experience and something I hadn't done in wrestling. I hadn't done a straight up adults only show. So I was like, cool, let's do that. And, you know, first couple shows, I, I think all I did, <coughs> excuse me, um, 
all I did was was host the show and, you know, do the ring announcing for the matches. And it wasn't until the third show that they decided to have me do live commentary over the loudspeakers. And uh, at that point, I was doing the Trash Fire of Talk gimmick because uh, I, I wanted it to be a party, you know, when I was doing the party host thing. Um, so I was doing, I was channeling my inner uh, Russell Brand Aldous Snow from Get Him to the Greek. Like, I wanted to be a, 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 a drugged up, lunatic rock star. That's how I, that's how I hosted the show. And so when it came time for me to do commentary, well, I'd already been introduced to the crowd as this rock star, uh, who was, you know, drunk and on drugs and, you know, just a a wild, crazy lunatic. And so I was like, well, I guess that's how I'm going to do commentary too. And that's how the trash fire of talk really came to be is I was doing one person commentary and I can't always remember the names of all the moves and all that stuff. But if it's already in the context of, I'm just there partying. I'm not, uh, I'm not there to be a play by play. I'm there to add to the vibe of the party. It worked for the commentary. And, you know, I, I got told on a, on a few occasions that, you know, my, my commentary makes the show. It's a, it adds a different feel. Um, and so from, from 2017 to 2019, I was the trash fire of talk, the party host for Kaiju attack wrestling. And it was, you know, it was fun. Um, I will say my, my one complaint and it's, it's one that was voiced often is eventually we started doing all ages shows and we started leaning more heavily on it just being a wrestling show when it was never supposed to be a wrestling show. It was supposed to be the live bands and the the weirdness and the commentary and the bar crowd and the vibe. Um, and it turned into another indie show. Um, and I was, I was working against that. I was trying to get other ideas out there and, and fresh ideas and, and how to change things up. And, you know, eventually we had the the actual kaiju monsters have their thing, but that was a hassle for some people because they were costume changes and this, that, and the other. And so the kaiju got abandoned. And I guess the kaiju were coming back May 31st. Um, so good for them, you know, for bringing that back. Uh, sadly, I won't be at the May 31st show. Well, I mean, obviously, because I quit wrestling. But even before I quit, uh, I wasn't going to be at the May 31st show because I had uh, the Doom. I have coming up the Doomed and Stoned Festival. My band has a huge opportunity, and I couldn't turn down that opportunity in favor of Kaiju. That would be unfair to the band. It would be unfair to myself. It's too big an opportunity. Um, and so I knew that was coming up. I knew I was going to miss May 31st. And then I got a stand-up offer. Uh, the show hasn't been announced yet, but the next Kaiju show in June, uh, I have a conflicting booking because there's a, a another show that I'm going to be part of. Um, so it was like, all right, well, that's, that's two shows in a row. I'm not going to be there for. Um, and then there's this California trip that I had been talking about, and that fell apart. And it's not my story to tell why it fell apart. Uh, 
Um, but it did. The, the Kaiju show in Half Moon Bay, California got canceled just about last minute, uh, which is disappointing for me. I was looking forward to it. I already had the plane ticket. I was ready to go. Um, so having that show be canceled and then knowing that the next two shows I'm not going to be able to do and I'm going to have more conflicting bookings in the future, uh, it just didn't make sense for me to be the the live show face of the company anymore. You know, because I'm the, I'm the first person that the fans see and I'm the last person they see. And I am the consistent voice through the entirety of the show. And it's not fair to the company for me to not say that I can be at every show. Uh, and it's not fair for me to have to turn down bookings because I said I would be at every show. So it was time to, it was time to be done. And that's, that's, that's the tea. That's the dirt. You know, it's, it's just time for me to put my value on myself and my brand instead of anyone else's brand. And that's, that's, that's the, the long and short of it. That's why I'm not in wrestling anymore is it's time for me to focus on the band and to focus on my comedy and to focus on myself. Uh, because I want Skits M. Jones to be the biggest brand that I'm working on. You know, I don't want to be a part of someone else's thing. I want to be a thing that other people want to have me be part of. I, I want other people to want Skits M. Jones to be part of their thing because of what Skits M. Jones is, if that makes sense. And maybe that's arrogant of me. Maybe that's cocky. Maybe that's um, me putting more value on myself than I should. Um, but I'm a performer, and that's what we do. You know, any performer seeks out a platform and thinks that they're entitled to the time of the audience. So, yeah, that's that's what it came down to, is it was time for me to, to switch up my focus. And so that's what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I, I of all the people that I've interacted with with wrestling, you know, I, I've had a blast in the Kaiju locker room. I've liked everyone that I've shared the locker room with. Uh, everyone's always been super cool. Um, you know, and I, I, I bear none of them any ill will. Most of the locker rooms I've been part of, like some of my closest friends are still from those days in POW. Uh, I don't see a lot of them as much as I, as I used to. Um, but my buddy Deho, like when I was homeless, I slept on his floor. No questions asked. Um, I officiated his wedding. Like, I, I will never regret my time in wrestling for that relationship alone. Let alone, you know, my, my crew, the FLI, the, the Fox Lake incident. Uh, Mikey Wild, Deho, uh, uh, Excon Ortiz, uh, Logan... Um, the, the flying Hawaiian Kanoa, like those are my, those are my dudes. I love those guys. And then some of that carries over into the breakfast club 
which there's a handful of us from POW who still get together as often as we can. It used to be once a month, but, you know, people have kids, people have jobs. Um, but me, Logan, uh, who I had mentioned earlier, um, Deho, uh, Ruthless Ramon, uh, who, who is, is still working at POW and, and, you know, doing the thing and acting like Ruthless Ramon is crushing it right now. And then, you know, Mikey Wild when he can be there, um, Kanoa when he can be there, like th- those are my people. Um, and I'll have, I have so many great memories, uh, from, my time in wrestling, you know, whether it was Deho's wedding, which was a wild fucking romp or any of the road trips down to Dubuque, Iowa, or the road trips up into Wisconsin. Um, you know, I, or even to Michigan, I always had such a blast with, with all the, all the cats in the, in the, in the cars. I remember introducing, uh, Pee Wee Perella to, uh, epic rap battles, you know, um, cause it was just something we, we listened to, uh, to stay awake in the car after a, after a Michigan trip. Um, you know, and Jimmy blaze bringing me into the business and giving me the opportunity, you know, James running underground, giving me space to, to grow, uh, with, with glitter bomb, um, you know, DDS giving me even further room to just do whatever on the mic, uh, and, and just really help shape what the company looked like as much as I could. Um, you know, it it was, a it's been a, a wild experience and wrestling has allowed me the room to explore, uh, my, own internal queerness. I I know I've said that about comedy as well, but wrestling, you know, starting as the epitome of entertainment, that was the start of it. That was the first time putting on makeup and wearing all the bright flamboyant colors and really expressing myself in a, in a flamboyant, bright kind of way after coming out of the military and, and all that and being very drab. Um, you know, and I've, I've gotten to play some, some wild gimmicks. You know, I've been a reporter, I've been a soldier, I've been a, a shadow, I've been a diva, I've been uh, a rock star, I've, I've worn masks, I've been a demon, I've been a god, I've been um, so many things. And only through wrestling did I get all of those experiences. And while my time in various companies ended positively or negatively or things just, you know, the company itself fell apart, like what happened with SWE, um, you know, or Underground, which kind of fell apart and then fell under the freelance umbrella. So now it's freelance Underground, um, you know, or, or then other cats from Underground who left and went to start Zello Pro, which is one of the hottest companies in the area right now. There's there's so much that wrestling brought into my life. And so I regret none of it. Um, and I am grateful for my time in wrestling. You know, I've, I've gotten to, I've gotten to see a lot. I've gotten to do a lot. 
and I've made some amazing friends and hopefully some other friends who will stay in my life, um, even with me leaving wrestling, because that's always the big shame in any, in any locker room is when you're not in that locker room anymore, you don't see those people very often anymore. And there are people who I genuinely, one of the highlights of wrestling is I knew there were people I was going to see at least once a month. And that'll be a shame to lose that. Um, but we move on. Uh, I'm going to take another break. When I come back, I'm going to talk about what could have been, what will be, things yet to come, and, uh, and then I'll do some recommendations and a tarot poll. So stay tuned, and I'll be right back. All right, and we're back, and let's talk about what could have been. Um, there have been so many ideas that I've had for wrestling, and I think the one that I regret most that just never, never got to come to fruition is uh, something that I, I wanted for Kaiju Attack Wrestling, um, and it was the uh, Kaiju Attack Wrestling presents Skitsam Jones Day Drunk Pajama Jam. Um, you know, I, I mentioned one of the one of the issues that that I kind of had with Kaiju uh, is that it turned into just another wrestling show, and that was never supposed to be the intention. You know, even even what DDS said initially when starting the company is this is not going to be another indie wrestling company. This is going to be something different. And we were roughly planning on November of this year doing this variety show. Uh, I'd been pitching it since the beginning of Kaiju. Um, And, you know, in the the roughly two years or year and a half or whatever it is uh, that that the company's been around, it just never, it never happened. Uh, We, you know, it was never given the go ahead to to put it together. But the, uh, the Day Drunk Pajama Jam was going to be a Sunday afternoon show uh, 21 and older, and there were going to be, uh, brunch-based drink specials and food offerings, and it was going to be music, comedy, burlesque, drag, and pro wrestling all on one show. Um, it was going to be just the wildest uh, I wanted, I, I wanted it all. I wanted all the things that a, that I enjoy B that I thought, you know, if you're looking for an alternative crowd, this is the alternative crowd, you know, burlesque and drag, you know, uh, are two very crowd participatory, uh, kind of things, whether it's, you know, the, the crowd tipping the, the performers or, uh, just the, the way that it's, it's a direct, uh, performance for the crowd. Um, you know, I, I liked that. And so I wanted, you know, like two comedians, 
to to warm up the the show um some some burlesque some drag uh some music you know a a a couple of a live bands to play and then the wrestling was going to be ridiculous i didn't want standard wrestling cuz any you know Every company can put on five-star matches. They can bring in talent. They can do whatever. They can have all the flippy-dippy shit. I didn't want that. Uh, We were going to have a a tug-of-war to the death over a shark tank, which was just going to be a kiddie pool with a couple RC cars driving around in it that had shark fins, you know, but elevated so the crowd couldn't see that that's what it is, you know, and so whoever falls in then sprays blood, you know, out of a squirt gun or whatever, uh, into the into the air to make it look like they're being eaten by the shark, and then that's the end of that match. Um, I wanted to do the reverse royal, where two people start outside the ring, and you know every thirty seconds or whatever another person's added to the match, and the point of the match is to be the first person to get inside the ring. And I I figure there's a lot of room for like comedy spots, and then some big spots like maybe a table spot. But, like, you you get people up onto the apron, and they're about to go over the top rope, and then they get dragged back down. And, you know, you could do a lot and be very interactive with the crowd in a match like that. Um, You know, and then a couple more standard wrestling matches. But I wanted it to be a show. I wanted it to be weird. And it's it's never going to happen. Um... You know, I'd I'd been trying to get dates. Uh, we could never lock down dates. We could never lock down a venue. So I could never start reaching out to performers. So it never got to happen. Um, that's not to say that the day drunk pajama jam's never gonna happen. Uh, it just might not happen with wrestling involved. I still want to do this show. I still want to have a show with comics, burlesque, drag, live music. I have performers in mind. Uh, I just need to figure out where and how to make it happen. Um, so me saying it, I'm putting it out, putting it out into the world. This is a show that I want to do. It's a show that I want to make happen. And I'm not, I'm not the focus of the show. I want to host. I want to host that show and let all those performers do their thing. Because that's the kind of show that I would pay money to go to. And I can't be alone in that. You know, I figure there's got to be other people who would be interested in seeing that kind of a variety show. And, you know, that's the people who would go to that are the kind of crowd I want to perform in front of. So, you know, that's that's a what could have been, but also hopefully a what will be in the future. Um, I'm going to focus more of my time on comedy. Uh, I, I'm going to start going to more shows, uh, cause I want to see, you know, I, I get to see everyone at the open mics, but I'm seeing them do the open mic. They're working on stuff or they're just riffing just to get, you know, more comfort in riffing. I'm not seeing, or, or they're just there to hang out with friends and crack up the other comics. I'm not seeing the show. So I want to go see my friends do the show. I want to go see that. Uh, I want to hit up some open mics I've never been to. Um, I want to host more shows. I want to be featured on more shows. I I want to put that work in. I had a wild first year. Uh, 
Um, I can't let the first year be the plateau. Uh, you know, so I'm going to devote time to that. Uh, the band has got the Doomed in Stone Festival, May 31st. That's going to be huge. And then we're writing an album. And right now, it's entirely possible it's going to be it's going to be a, a a thing. You know what? I'm not going to get ahead of myself with talking about what the album's going to be before we've started recording, but uh it's going to be it's going to be a thing, y'all. Like you don't even know. I'm so stoked for it. Uh so there's a lot coming up, you know. Um a lot of stuff on the horizon, a lot of stuff I'm very excited for. And there's some trepidation, there's some nervousness, you know, because the one thing about wrestling is it was guaranteed at least once to twice a month I was going to have a show. I was going to have something to advertise. I was going to have something to shill for. And I knew I was going to have an audience to perform for. And I don't have that that certainty anymore. And that's, that's daunting uh, to know that I don't have that guaranteed thing. Um, but what that means is it's now entirely on me. If I'm going to perform, it's on me to get the gig. It's on me to find the platform, to find the stage. And that's simultaneously terrifying and incredibly freeing. And so I'm I'm very excited for what the future holds. I it's bittersweet leaving wrestling because it's been a part of my adult life for you know, the past decade plus. And, you know, that, that's a good, that's a good span of time. That's almost, almost a, a little over a quarter of my life was spent in wrestling and that's gone now. And that's not to say I'll never step foot at another show or even maybe get booked to do something at a show. You know, maybe someone will have an idea, they'll pitch it to me, and I'll be like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, but in terms of being a, a you know, borderline contracted, uh, you know, must-be-at-every-show kind of performer, I I think those days are behind me. And I, uh, I'm excited to see what happens next. So, let's take one final look back. Uh, I know usually my recommendations, I do an old song and I do a new song. Uh, my recommendations now, I'm going to go back through all the themes that I used as a pro wrestler. Uh, so first up, the very first song that I ever came out to the ring to was uh, Right Place, Wrong Time by the Screamin' Cheetah Wheelies. Uh, that was for my match when I was still being a reporter, and Right Place, Wrong Time seemed fitting. Uh, you know, because I was being attacked uh, by the owner of the company for being in the the right place at the wrong time. Um, after that, uh, I think I came out to Chris Cairo's music in that, that six-man tag, so I didn't have a song then. Uh, when I debuted as the epitome of entertainment, uh, I came out to Judas by Lady Gaga because I had stabbed... Uh, GQ and the company at large in the back joining the rebellion. Um, after that, when uh, hashtag glitter bomb became a thing, uh, we used blow by Kesha. 
and uh, that was our entrance song. Um, one time I used California Girls by Katy Perry for a show in Dubuque because the uh, company did not have uh, my music on file, so I had to drive to the nearest uh, Walmart to find any CD that would fit my gimmick, and Katy Perry was all that was present, so California Girls was my entrance for one show. Um, and then, yeah, Blow by Kesha, uh, used that for the, the entire run of Hashtag Glitter Bomb. Uh, then for Too Fab, Too Furious, the short-lived heel version of that team with me and, and, uh, uh, Brian Fellows, D-Ho, uh, we used I'm Not Justin Bieber, Bitch by Gunther, which was fantastic. Um... And then ended the run using Pendulum of Man by Uncouth. That's right. I used a song by my own band. Because uh, why the fuck not? Um, if there was ever a song that I was going to use and I never got to, it would have been uh, London Bridge by Fergie. Because I love the the siren and the oh shit. Uh, as, as that intro, cause it sounds so intense and then it's, and then it's Fergie doing a pop song. So it's like such a weird switch from the, the siren and oh shit. And then, uh, the, you know, how come every time you come around my London, London bridge, want to go down? Like, um, I, I just think that's a weird, fun little contrast. I might use that for a stand up show at some point. If I ever have music bringing me out and I get to choose my own music, I might still use that because it's just such a fun song. Um, so yeah, those are, those are your songs, uh, for, I don't even know how the fuck I fell upon the screaming cheetah wheelies. I have no idea how that happened. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so those, those were the songs that brought me out to the ring and, uh, let's pull a tarot card to close this out. Let's see what the message is going to be going forward. Shuffle around here and huh, the world I'm pulling from the illest tarot deck. Um, It's a a fantastic deck. I've talked about it before. And in this deck, the world is represented by RuPaul. Um, The world is an interesting card for this episode because the world is the end of the major arcana. The major arcana being the the story of the fool's journey. And uh, the the world is uh, when all has has been said and done, uh, all that's left is, is, uh, the world. It's, it's the hard work. It's the, the perseverance. It's the grind. It's, it's, it's all of that coming to an end. You've, you've, you've done what you needed to do. Um, that's, uh, oh, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, uh, (laughs) I'm a little choked up. Um, you've, you've done what you had to do and now, uh, you get to just revel in your achievements. Um, if you're, if you're getting a lot of accolades or a lot of 
positive response. Be humble. But uh, you did it, and you've done it, and now you can enjoy it. Uh, Acknowledge the work you've done, and uh, until you've, you've reveled in this moment, you you can't uh you can't move on to the next thing so take take your time to to pause and enjoy what's come before and revel in your successes and acknowledge your defeats and when the the smoke clears it's time to be- begin the journey again so huh all right the world um, I guess <laughs> that, that threw me off. Um, I guess that's it for this episode. If you have stuck through to the end, thank you so much. I realize this is a long episode and there's so much I didn't talk about. Like I, I gave the weirdest kind of play by play and some of it was fuzzy and some of it I had to struggle to remember. And some of it I'm sure is out of order. And I hope it doesn't feel like I've thrown anyone under the bus or, or spilled too much tea. Um, I, uh, I just, I wanted to look back and maybe that's part of me clearing the smoke so I can get on to the next thing. I just had to, had to purge this a little bit. I had to get it out. Um, and if you listened, I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for listening to whatever episodes you've listened to. Um, if you were expecting more dirt, or people to be thrown under the bus. Um, that's not what this was about. You know, I, this is a celebration of my time in the business. I, you know, any company I left, I left for my own reasons. And mostly it just had to do with my vision for myself and my career, not aligning with the vision that the person booking the company had. And that's fine. It's their company. It's their playground. It's their sandbox. They can do what they want. And I have to focus on my brand. And I think for the first time, now that I'm not worrying about where I fit in someone else's company, I can really focus on where I'm going to fit building my own brand. And that's what I'm doing from here on out. I hope you all will continue following me on this journey. And I look forward to seeing where it goes. And really, just with the utmost gratitude, thank you to everyone I've ever shared space in the ring with, space in the locker room with, space at ringside. Thank you to the fans, the workers, all the partners I've had through these years, you know, whether it was uh, uh, Sarah or Britt or Kayla, um, anyone who has put up with the nonsense of, of dating a wrestler. Y'all are superstars for dealing with it, uh, and dealing with me. Um, you know, thank you to Jimmy Blaze and, uh, James Russo and DDS. And you know what? Even Sexy KC and, uh, you know what? Fuck you, Mitch Blake, but you booked me. So thank you. (laughs) You racist fuck. Um, thank you to anyone who's ever given me a platform. I appreciate it. And, uh, happy trails. Keep that trash fire burning.